With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello and happy Friday. We know that many of you probably aren't driving right now, but we, we look forward to all of us driving more. I've had a new splinter in my brain, and I'm going to mention it publicly. It's Uh-oh. been said privately. I'm going to mention it publicly. Oh, no. The discussion is that you and I should try to go out to the salt flats when it's dry enough and see what the top speed is we can get these beasts to. And now I really want to do that video. I don't know when we're going to, we got because we got to balance the weather and the schedule. But uh, I would really, really like to do that because this car just laughs at ninety. Oh, it so does. I'm very curious. I yeah. maintain that I think yours will hit a far higher top speed. I mean, it's designed to. Even though the Maserati sounds amazing and you know, like it'd be fast, I've had it fairly quickly. I'm not saying what speed I've had it yeah. up to so far, yeah, yeah. but I, I just don't want it to vibrate apart at some top speed. <laughs> Although. I agree with you. This is the next logical test because it is. You're right. Yes. everything else we've done with the cars, all right, we've checked those boxes. All right, we've done uh-huh. that. Can we just take uh-huh. a chase truck or a tow vehicle or something so when one or both of the cars is stranded and melted down out in the middle of <clears throat> Bonneville State Park <laughs> and we need to uh-huh. tow it you know, miles back to the road... Can, can we just take some, you know, just a support vehicle with drinks and snacks and a tow cable? <laughs> just saying. I think I think we're going to have to. I think you're absolutely right. I think we're going to have to take something along for the ride or the tow, depending upon how you look at it. But I just think that'd be funny. We have a new piece on these two crazy sedans coming next week. It is not a driving piece, ironically, in spite of what we normally do. It is a kind of foibles and fails piece. I'm excited to share that with you. We do still have the autocross piece coming. We're talking about this new ridiculous piece we want to shoot, but that is only a scratch of the surface of the amount of YouTube content we still have coming. Many of you saw yeah, yeah. Paul's awesome design piece this week. Well, thank and we you also again, have Thank you. That, well, hey, man, it's it was all you. You don't have to thank me. I'm really glad. People have loved it, which is good because it's awesome. I'm glad. Lots more of those coming. Fast blasts are still racking up. Uh, there's so much good stuff coming, plus... TV for season seven is already being edited, and season six will eventually make its way to Amazon. But if you haven't seen the first five seasons, they are all available for free on Prime and Amazon and also on Vimeo for those of you worldwide. I was thinking the cover shot for that foibles piece could be one or both of our cars with some cool drone shot, and it just pulls away of these two broken down cars and just pulls away. White, salt, blue sky just keeps pulling away. (laughs) Pulling away until they're just dots. They're little tiny specks of dirt in this vastness. Like, Look oh, at you shooting already. I love it. There that's you go. That's where good they stuff, are. Man. Foibles. That's, and well, but here's the other but the, want them? That's the funny thing. Yes, here's the GPS we're getting, coordinates. <laughs> if we, when we, we drove home these, in a van. <laughs> <laughs> when we do give these away, which we are going to do later in this calendar year, we're still giving away these crazy old sedans. It is that thought. It's you wanted. It's now a planter in the middle of the salt flats. Best of luck to you. We could be that mean, but I there's, don't think we will. There's some fondness attached to these for both of our cars. We've got some it's fondness going on. It's very funny. Yeah. We we have so much good content coming, and so much of that is the the reason that our well, sorry, so much of the good content we have coming is possible because of our great sponsors. You've heard about all of them here. We have Haggerty as a new one this year. But our presenting sponsor remains Covercraft. They have been great to us. They are an awesome company. They are a family company. And further proving it, they've completely changed what they're doing right now. Yeah. yeah. They are changing all of their manufacturing to be personal protective equipment for first responders and hospitals. So they are shifted over to, because they're used to dealing with all kinds of special materials. Yeah. They are shifting over to that. So not only do we appreciate them for this show, we appreciate the fact that they're one of the companies that has shifted what they're doing in this crazy time. And that's what Covercraft's doing and still supporting us. Yeah, definitely. And also Griot's Garage. As a matter of fact, if you've ordered something from Griot's Garage in the past, Richard has sent out a note to everybody. I mean, I was so touched. I just wanted to read it on the air. I won't, but it was just along the lines of, you know what? Let's take care of friends and family. Let's take care of us first mm-hmm. and then yeah. go get some therapy in your garage done. It was just all his priorities were in the right place. 
And it yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I love that. And again, thanks to Haggerty as well. And hopefully you guys got a chance to hear McKeel Haggerty, the CEO of Haggerty, on mm-hmm, the podcast mm-hmm. with Todd and I just the episode prior. We had a great time with him. He's a fascinating guy, and I can't wait to have very him back cool. on. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, All right. Very fun. What do we got here? We've got Pilgrimage coming at us in August 2020, yep. August 2 through the, 2 through 6. 2 through the 6th. I, I don't know what that is. Um, so the <laughs> Those two are days. They're in August. The, it's going to be awesome. Right. It's going to be a great time. Jay, yeah. I hate it when you misspeak. All right. So that early August time frame is detailed on the website. When you go to everydaydriver.com, you can click on the Adventures tab and pretend as if you're signing up and just go read mm-hmm. the details. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, we've got signups going already, as a matter of fact, and we're looking Absolutely. forward to yep. this. You know, should everything go the way we want and hope, that is the plan right now. So check out Pilgrimage 2020. I just think it's going to be a party, and we're going to have a blast. It's going to be great. Because every time you and I fun. talk about this, people would say, no, <clears throat> you do what now? Sorry, yeah, back up. Seriously. And it's people so much fun it. to explain it. Yes. Not, not yes. from an ego standpoint, not from a ha-ha, we do this and you can't. It's more like a... This is this is still revelatory for Todd and I every mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. We just want to share it with y'all. Totally, totally. I really hope you guys can go. We'd love to have more people with us. We already have a good group going, so it's going to be very, very exciting. On this podcast, happy Friday, by the way. It's weird. The days are running together for me. There's there a lot of duplicate work going on, but but happy Friday. And on this podcast, two really cool car debates. First off, we have Christian writing to us from Denver, Colorado. He says he's out of excuses on getting his fun dream car, we have to talk about essentially, is he looking at the right fun dream car? Mm. And then after the break, we also have Zach writing in from Philadelphia. He's 24 years old and he says, uh, <clears throat> can I get the lease? So, uh, I, I, hey, I would like to have had that conversation at no 24. Kidding. So let's unpack that for Zach and see if he can get himself in a lease. Plus, you guys, as always, have bombarded us with questions. Thank you. We'll get to many of those, too. If you've got more cars than garage space, and we suspect you do, then you need to protect them with a custom car cover from Covercraft. We recommend the NOAA Custom Car Cover. They're each made to fit your car perfectly, and they resist moisture, but they also breathe to eliminate condensation. They've got a four-layer protection for all weather conditions, and they protect your car from UV rays, too. The NOAA covers even have a soft inner layer, they're made in the USA, and they come with a four-year warranty. In the worst winds we've seen, the NOAA cover stays put. I had one on the Lancer, and it kept the paint pristine in all conditions. Paul wore one out over nine years of daily use with his Audi Avant, and people always asked how he kept it so nice. Plus, with Covercraft, you can defend your interior against kids, dogs, spills, and any weekend adventure in mud and snow with custom seat covers from Covercraft. Have the nicest car all winter long with help from our friends at Covercraft. You can get 10% off your custom car cover and any other Covercraft product by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com, and it ships for free. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com to keep your car looking its best. Christian writes to us from Denver, as Todd said, and he says some background before he gets to the debate. He's 34, he's married, living in Denver, no kids yet, and he has been stricken by the car disease for several years. He thinks it started with a friend of his suggesting to try autocross back when he lived in Dallas. So he went to his first event, and he got immediately hooked, as you do. He hung out in the autocross world in the North Texas area for a couple of years before going out to his first track day experience at Motorsport Ranch in Crescent, which is southwest of Fort Worth. He was immediately hooked, well, hooked again. And since yeah, then, exactly. his, his interest in cars and all things automotive has done nothing but grow. Work brought him to Denver a few years ago after seven years in Dallas, and he's gone out to High Plains Raceway, which we've been to. It's been a while, but it's we've been cool to track. that. It really is. <clears throat> all right. So speaking of work, he mentions that he's in the tech consulting arena. So he works for a tech consulting company, and he said there's plenty of other car enthusiasts as well. They even have a dedicated internal channel on their chat client. Of course you do. For all the fellow <laughs> disease car nuts, he said he would be remiss if he didn't give him a shout-out. Well, then shout-out to hello, all, all the disease car nuts on that channel. Hi, everyone. That is very funny. He says, a great memory was during their last and final yearly company trip out to Laguna Beach, California, 30 or 40 of them organized a fun car rental through Turo, and they had a spreadsheet that tracked all their rental options. Of course you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He rented out a nice Z4 and cruised PCH with his wife. He says, lots of great cars were rented that weekend, BMWs, Porsches, 
all the way to Lambos. They made a car convention and a car road trip out of a business trip. I think that's amazing, by the way. That's, well, they had uh, spreadsheets. That's being used well. They yes, made spreadsheets out of because, it. Well, look, you're at the office. Spreadsheets are going to get made anyway. Let's make one related to this. That I see the logic. <laughs> I see it for what's sure. That tab, yeah. What's that extra tab next to the actual work? Oh, I see oh, what you guys that, are doing. That's, that's other stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So he is interested in the Honda S2000. 0405 because they had the AT, AP2 engine and improvements, yes. but still maintain a mechanical throttle cable. Okay, gotcha. It's it's a it's not it's just throttle at the by wire. Of, it's yeah, it's just at the beginning of AP2. Right, but it right, isn't right. later. Th- he doesn't want one 06 and on, so he's just the beginning of AP2. So it's interesting. That's okay, right. Keep going because he doesn't want that throttle by wire in 06 plus. Gotcha. Okay, okay. sorry, right. skim that too fast. He's driven a couple test drives from some used options around, and he really enjoys the car's glorious engine, lighter weight. And this would be a second car for fun, given that the daily mm-hmm. car is settled, which is a t- trusty 2017 Super WRX, which has been an absolute riot in the snow. And he says, Blizzx, feel cool. like cheat codes. Hey, <laughs> winter tires feel like you're cheating, don't they? Yes, yes, absolutely. And then you add an all-wheel drive platform. And honestly, in the, in the case of the WRX specifically, it is a non-event in weather. It, it, I mean, I actually like <laughs> the sports car in, in weather idea because it's a playful thing. The, all the mm-hmm. things that are playful about the chassis in general. In fact, uh, just this week, Ross wrote a really cool piece for our website about this exact reality because he was driving this past year. He went from driving a WRX to driving a Miata in the snow. And he was talking about how all the best parts about the edge of capability in a sports car in the dry are available in wet weather and snow. And he's absolutely right. And I love that as well. What What's funny about the WRX is that it is just a car where it's like, weather? Huh. Okay. Whatever. Definitely. I mean, you, you, it's Definitely. just, you, it's almost irrelevant. So he has got that dialed in. His wife has got an SUV. She has a 2015 Hyundai Santa Fe Sport. So that's been fine. They're, they're handled on the normal cars, the all-weather cars, the Denver cars, if you will. So as a result, he's just shopping right. for fun. And he's he's had this thing for an S2000 kind of forever so yeah, he's he's yeah. way down this road this is one of those those write-ups we get every now and then and christian is kind of going hey hey guys do do you agree or is there something <laughs> yeah. i'm overlooking so we're, we've got a 15 to eighteen thousand dollar budget maybe 20k on the high side but this is a track and autocross primary use car occasionally just a winter i mean pardon me just a weekend fun car so he's kind of going guys looking at the s2000 Sounds like he's kind of planning on it. Am I missing anything is the big question here. Whenever you guys write to us and you say, here's my budget, and then you say this little extra number over to the side, like the extra poll under, I don't even look at the uh-huh. first two numbers anymore. I just go this right to true. the higher number. I just oh, go, yeah, yeah. oh, okay, so these other two numbers don't really matter because you gave me this other number. I, it's just, just inherent. I can't help it. You're just looking for the number closest to your name is really what, what, what how you scan Pretty much. It. I just I scan, yeah. like, there's a number. It says, Paul, okay, I'm going with that number. 80, great. Let's do that. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's do the high one. Let's do the high one. One of the things <laughs> I did think was interesting about Christian's story is little P.S. he says here. He's giving a shout-out to his wife who got him in one of those awesome exotic car driving experiences last year. He had a chance to drive in the mountains in a Porsche GT3. So he has that little taste if you will of the higher level of cars in the world and he's that's got him excited as well but here we are with 15 to 18,000 on s2000 i have a couple things to say first off i think ap2 is the right choice secondly have you driven the drive-by wire versus the standard cable throttle have you driven them both or is this 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 feels to me and and i'm asking this feels to me like you read that it went to digital throttle and you went, well, I can't have that. And my question is, interesting. have you driven both? Because I'll, I'll give you the flip side. I got an 06 Lotus Elise, which mm-hmm. actually is the first year they went to drive by wire uh, throttle. Okay. I've never had a reason to blink. Mm. And yeah, there are people that are like, you know, the 05s have got the cable throttle. I'm like, and... Yeah. Now, I'm not saying the engines are the same in those two cars. I get it. But they are both engines that you wind out. I've never had any concerns with my Lotus 
And I've driven the O5s, too. I've never had any concern in either one about, well, this is just better for throttle. So I, I wonder if this is one of those things where, for whatever reason, you decided, I can't do that, but have you driven both to really feel like I can only have those years. Now, that doesn't mean you couldn't find a really nice 04, 05 and just avoid 06. I, I totally get it, but I'm asking that question for you to ponder. The S2000 is a standout. It's a moment in time car. It's all the things we've said. It's the greatest hits, all of those things. It would make its way onto our truck that we would take all over the nation if we could do that. It's all of those things. Mm-hmm. They are autocross monsters, yeah. So I have oh, yeah. no problem with that choice, and yet I still have two other convertibles, and I have two, possibly three other hardtops for you. Oh, wow. You kind of went nuts. I love it. Well, I want to caution us all against trying to choose the cars based on the parts, like mm-hmm. hydraulic power steering, like drive-by cable everything. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, sure, sure. well, yeah, it's, yeah. it. The others aren't good, like you're saying about your Elise. Well, can't possibly be good because it's drive-by-wire. It can't possibly be good. Mm-hmm. Don't the S2000s, if I recall, don't those have electric power steering racks? They absolutely do. Yes, they absolutely do. And I see none of that sort of concern mm-hmm. here in the email. Mm-hmm. I see, well, I don't know. Christian, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm not saying you do. But I'm just saying we totally. as the collective yeah, yeah. we, everybody listening, we tend to say, Completely. Completely. well... Can't be that good. And so you come in with some preconceived notions, not allowing yourself to be surprised. If it's bad, and there are some that are truly bad, then we sure. can say they're bad. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, you know, something is surprising, you think, well, all right, that's how it's built, and that's how the engineers decided to package it, and that's what they decided on, and I kind of like it, then that car's mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I point the fingers at me. I, yeah. You know, we can have the debate about the hydraulic versus electric and Porsches, but you, I think you understand what yeah, I'm yeah. saying is. Totally. Absolutely. And so I, I'm with you, Todd, on driving the one with the drive-by-wire throttle just to see, is that even a possibility? Yeah. You could find, yeah, yeah. you know, don't let that prevent you from buying the car. Here it is in front of you, but uh, you know what? The car's well, got just... ugly toes. I, I just don't like the car because- <laughs> the... Car you know, has ugly toes. You know what I mean? I like that a lot. No, it's good. But <laughs> but but here's the only reason I bring it up. It doesn't mean he couldn't find a great 0405, but what if you find the perfect 07? Mm, sure. It's, it's it's perfect. It's an 07. Well, I can't get an 07 because of the, the throttle by wire. Is it really that big a problem? I'm ask I'm asking the question more than I'm accusing at all. I'm just saying, have you driven both and is it really an issue? So that is my, my lingering question on that. But, uh, yeah, I'm curious about what else you've got, too. You're ruined, buddy, because your wife did get you that Porsche GT3 driving experience. You are screwed now, my friend, because, yeah, you know, once you taste it, it's it's tough to forget. I know. So I'm glad she did that, but I'm glad that you have this in your mind. And for $20,000, I first started thinking RX-7s from that era, the uh, hmm, third generation okay. RX-7. I thought, sure. could you? Unfortunately, for twenty grand, you can't. Then my okay. mind went to NSXs. Unfortunately, I don't know if they'll ever touch twenty grand. Probably uh, not. Yeah, I think the the new one became so different that I think that is going to leave the originals high. Mm-hmm. Honestly, on, here's the crazy thing: a really gorgeous S two thousand can be over twenty. Oh, yeah. And so, oh, you yeah. know, so I mean, granted, his and then you won't want to drive right it. The, unfortunately, totally, totally. His budget is right in the sweet spot of the good ones, though. So keep going. I was thinking Z cars, and I thought, well. You know, they're they're just going to be heavier, and they won't drive quite as well as the S2000. They just won't. Yeah. And agreed. I was going through all the mid-'90s, those supercars, those attainable supercars. I was just running down the list thinking, all right, none of those will work for that budget. Okay, how about the 2006 to 2008 BMW Z4M? It's got that mm. lovely engine from the E46 M3, and it's always the surprising choice. I think people look at it and kind of discount it, and they think, yeah, it was kind of a niche car. I mean, I guess all BMWs are niche cars, right? Since they just kind of plug the holes in the market, maybe. <laughs> <clears throat> Did I say that out loud? Uh, <laughs> I, I I like this car a lot because it still had a light, nimble feeling to it. And maybe you drove it. You did mention you drove some Z4s, and I don't know if you did the Z4M Coupe from 06 to 08. That I, I just thought, this is a delightful choice. Now... Again, twenty grand is going to be tough. 
It does seem like the S2000 is in the sweet spot, but I will say a $20,000 Cayman can't be ignored. It just can't. I agree. So, you know, even with higher mileage, even with all that stuff, doesn't matter. I, I would still ask you to drive one before settling on an S2000 because the S2000 is a busy car. It's just busy. That's why mm-hmm. we love it. That's mm-hmm. why we all love it. But it's, it's always yes. busy. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. It's just we're doing stuff. We're busy. We're driving. Yep. So yep. for fun car, perfect. For an all-the-time car, not as perfect. But Honda never intended that. Sure. So sure, sure. you are in the sweet spot, Christian. I do agree. We can go to Miatas. We can go to all that kind of other stuff. I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear what you've got, Todd. But I, I kept coming back to that BMW as the, huh, this is that German car feeling. And it still was light. Still drove yeah, watch our watch our fast blast on that car. That is a that is an almost an equivalent moment in time card BMW to the S two thousand from Honda. Not quite, but it's close. I feel like not so that's quite. A good one. Yeah, I yeah. didn't have that on my list, but I do like that. I did mention the nine eight seven generation. That is either Cayman or Boxster. So obviously, sure. do sure. you want convertible or not? If you haven't driven one, you should at least drive it before you decide. I agree with you there, Paul, because. They're they're not the same animal. The engines have very different personalities. But in both cases, the Porsches or the S2000s, they've been proven. They have great gearboxes. They run. The parts are available. And the engines have more power the more you make them scream. All of those things are very common and, and uh, the same in both those ideas. So if you haven't driven a Boxster or Cayman, at least go drive it. Now, I know the S2000 is just an autocross monster. So if we're talking autocross monsters and little small convertibles, you hear it coming. The Miata's got to be discussed. So I asked this question, Christian, how big a guy are you? Because oh. you could get yourself a Mazda Speed Miata and have money left over. You could. For tires could. and autocross and all kinds of stuff. Now, the the wild card here is if it's an autocross and track car, what are the requirements of Rocky Mountain Raceway or your autocross groups or whatever? What are their convertible requirements? Oh, because yeah. many times, yeah. if you have a convertible, they require certain levels of roll bars and those kind of things. I can't begin to guess or answer. You will know. You can find out. Does that shy you away from even wanting a convertible? I'm asking the question. I don't know. But, you know, you're going to have to kind of cross-reference that information with the car you're buying to see if you want to be in a hardtop, which is why the Cayman comes up for me. Of course, of course, yes, while we're here, let's talk the 86 platform, the FRS, the BRZ. That could work, though I think you may be frustrated by the power output in that car for your usage, which made me think of what else is in this range that is inexpensive, agile, light, and has an engine that you wind it out to find fun. And I thought, you know what you could buy all day long? RX-8s. You said the RX-7, but he's got RX-8s all over the map with money left over. That's true. You're, I, I had thought about RX-8s. You're right. You're right. I just thought, well, I I don't know. May, maybe that is a good option. Maybe it is. I was going I back mean, to RX-7s just because of that era you were already talking in. And, sure. of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. those have shot up in value. RX-8s have not shot up in value. So See, that's, that's the thing. Is yeah. They do have that great agility. They really are fun to drive. And they have that same screaming engine plus even more smoothness that all these other fun cars we're talking about have. I think it is as unique as the S2000. So if you're looking for an alt, I think it's a great one to drive. And I think uh, not only would you have money left over, but you could find your pick of a really good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the early aughts, like a 2011, those are ten dollars or $11,000 in nice condition. You'll be surprised that nobody wants them. And they're not modded either. When we did our original FRS S2000 RX-8 piece, we had an R3, which was the last gasp refresh of the RX-8 before it went away. And it was like a 2011, if memory serves. So those yeah, last yeah. versions... They were great to drive, and the first time I ever drove one was at a press launch, and it was a combination where they had a small autocross track in one parking lot, and then you had to, you were able to get on a full track. Otherwise, the thing was great. Besides mm-hmm. the fact we took it on back roads, it was good. It was great at that. So it is a real, it's an atypical option, but since this is what this is for, it could also be really fun. And see, here I thought you were going to say Volkswagen Phaeton, because it's turned out to be such a surprising autocross car with the weight. You... It's amazing. 
You can take any corner at any speed and crank on the wheel because the weight of the car will mash the tire into the ground. There's no wheel slide. The The weight of the car and then the all-wheel drive pulls you through. There's no sliding in that car. There's no slithering. If if somebody made a super tight autocross course, I think you'd be, you'd really be horrified. I, I was plenty horrified. I look forward to sharing you that video. But the thing that was really funny about the fate, and I know we brought it up. Hopefully, we're not overselling that video because it's not that grandiose. But the funny part was it's nothing left the line like the Phaeton, partially because I had zero mechanical sympathy and secondarily because it held all that weight and all-wheel drive and it was just like, well, let's go now. Whereas, you know, like the Maserati is engaging a clutch and so is the PDK and in the Lotus, I've, you know, got to let the clutch out. The Phaeton was just like, whatever, let's just go. So those first couple seconds were like, it's real party trick. But anyway, yeah. See, I had all kinds of sympathy for the Maserati. Like, All right, come on. Okay, we can do this. We can get through this 34 seconds together. We can do this. <laughs> we just were practically just kind of tiptoeing our way and helping push the car to start it. It was crazy, yeah. You know, once it's got momentum, it just it comes to life. But just off the line, you just want to <laughs> ease into things. Don't want Easy. anything to shatter. <laughs> Keep sounding nice. Keep sounding nice. Don't Don't create a new noise. It would be all bad. Zach writes to us from Philly. The headline caught my eye. The subject line caught my eye, Zach. Uh uh He's a 24-year-old mechanic living in suburban Philly. And he said over the past month he's been consumed with the podcast, he felt proper to listen to some of our older material when you, Todd, first purchased Uh your Lotus, which got him thinking. (laughs) Uh uh, Yeah. About seven (laughs) months ago, he noticed there was an Elise for sale within four miles of his house, but he didn't give it much thought. Mm -hmm. As expected, it's still there, and this is where the dilemma begins. Now, he's currently got four cars, a 2019 Volkswagen Jetta six-speed, so that's the daily. The prior daily was a 99 Honda Civic that he was thinking about, you know, converting into a lemons car. So that's over to the side, and maybe it yes. will be. But but still yes. on the list, which is crazy. I mean, yes. we're, we're two cars up right now. I it mean, still counts. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't yeah, matter sure. if it runs or not. It yes, still agreed. counts. Yep, it's yep. a car. Mm-hmm. He also came into acquiring a Mustang that met a Deer, 97 Mustang GT convertible five-speed that was bought back from the insurance company after being totaled by his dad, who hit a Deer. Oof. Dad's perfectly fine, and he replaced it with a 2009 Porsche Boxer, so maybe he's a little more too fine now yeah, I, than he dad, got a Boxer. Dad is better off. You don't hear this story often. Guys, I hit a Deer, but I'm so much better now. But that is exactly <laughs> the situation with Zach's dad. That, that is the, the chain of events right there. Moving on. So funny. He's got also a never-ending project car, as you do, a 1967 Mercury Cougar with the FE big block and the four-speed. Big big car. All right. When he was 14, his parents were gracious enough to buy him the Cougar as the project car. It's a clean West Coast car that must have been painted about eight times. It's Mm. like when you move Mm. into your house (laughs) and you try to open the bathroom window and it's painted shut from all the layers of paint. Probably like that. Well, it's all. It's also that thing where you're, you're doing you're doing measurements, and you're like, "Isn't this room supposed to be ten feet wide? <laughs> Why is it so much shorter than it's supposed to?" Oh, that's right. They've been painted a lot. That's definitely that's right. an LA disease for sure. Uh, all right, so he he stripped the car to bare metal, painted it Wimbledon white. He's not driven this car in the five years, as he's run into some issues finding parts for this car that are within his budget. Wow. He says, since it's really just a fancy Mustang, mechanically it's simple to fix, but it has so many extra random details for a 1967 car, he's at the point with, with it that he's decided it's got to go. Okay. Which is okay. where the Elise comes back into play. Interesting. All right. All right. Good, good. He's always he says- loved how the cars looked. It appeals to his inner child. He's got a second idea that completely butts heads with getting a Lotus. <laughs> but let's just stay on the Lotus for the, for the moment. I, yes. I'd like you to address that first. Well, I mean, the thing about the Lotus, and I do, I, I do love this story, Zach, and obviously I'll speak to the Lotus probably too much as I I'm, as I'm want to do. But the thing about it is you're 24. The first thing I want you to do is check the insurance consequences of you, the 24-year-old, getting a lease. Because getting one for roughly $30,000, you're not buying a brand new car. It's, it's an, you know, if you get an 05, 06, and the, and the one you actually sent us a link, you're looking at it, it is an 05. So that's a 15-year-old car. So you're probably going to be okay on insurance, but check that first, Okay. Also, make sure you're not trying to get yourself a secretly salvaged Lotus Elise because those are difficult. Salvage cars in general are difficult to buy. You can't get a loan. I don't know how you're dealing with all this, but 
look at those realities. But having said that, if you're looking for a new slash different car experience, short of like the Ariel Atom or the BAC Mono or some Morgan product, you're in about as unique a space. My my joke has been that I have bought an auto, automotive cul-de-sac. That's been my joke, okay? Because so many times we talk to people on this podcast about a progression of vehicles. Well, I had one of these, and then I had one of these. And we're going, oh, I see where you're going. You're buying this kind of car, and that means the next one on your list should be, and we can fill in the blank. Not with the Elise. You buy an Elise, and you're just a person that either owns one or used to have one. There's not a next Okay, so if you if you want to have that kind of automotive cul-de-sac experience where you buy this to have this unique moment in time car, and I do recommend it, it's great. But if you're looking at it as a progression to something else, there isn't a next. There's just a have an Elise, and now I don't. But uh, if you're hmm. looking for a unique experience, man, I, what I find interesting is that you have a current Jetta and a 99 Civic. There's a there's a link in small-ish cars there. I think the Elise would be fascinating to you after Mustang and Cougar and those kind of things. I'm all for it, and I want to unpack it further, but you have an alternate idea with your thirty grand that is a whole other can of worms. That's an interesting perspective, being an owner, because we talk about the car disease as being a stepping stone throughout life, throughout yes. our car yes. ownership career. It's always... All right, so this is our budget now. This is mm -hmm. what you can get. Mm -hmm. We want to max out the fun with your budget now. Mm -hmm. With the vision down the road, because we're all shopping, the vision down the road to the next car. And as you heard Mikhail Haggerty say on the last podcast, your favorite car is the next car. The most mm -hmm. exciting car mm -hmm. is the next one. But you're saying that's not the case with the Elise. I it don't think is so. That and that alone, it's not a stepping stone to something else. Maybe a mid-engine feel, but even that doesn't really translate. I mean... I can feel the mid-engine similarities between our two cars, but mine's, yeah. well, not quite double the weight, but maybe another third added onto your car. And I can still feel the mid-engine goodness there, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So your it's car, really your car weighs car. 3,000 pounds. Mine weighs 2,000 pounds. That means you are 50% heavier than my car, and your car could never be described as big. No, no. And it's also not positioned... Think about this. Car manufacturers want to bring you to the brand. And that's usually the low end, whatever that is, an Audi A3. They want you mm -hmm. to aspire to an R8. Yeah. But yeah, you yeah. can't afford an R8. So yeah. here's an, an A3. And then throughout your career, you become an Audi fan and you move up. And then you discover more Audis and Audi Sport. And then maybe one day you get a RS6 hot wagon. And then mm -hmm. maybe one day you get an R8. That's never been Lotus, ever. You're right. Porsche does it with the Cayman to the 911. They want yep. sort of the Cayman to be the stepping stone to a 911, which yep. I, it's become too good to become that anymore. There's now a disconnect between that thinking, but it's always been, all right, start with a Cayman or Boxster, move mm -hmm. to a 911 or 911 convertible. Hey, how about a Panamera or a Cayenne for the family? And yep. you know what I mean? Yep. So there's this uh -huh. progression uh -huh. that car companies, that's why the 3 Series, the 5 Series, the 7 Series exist. Same with BMW. That's why the graduate up through money and career happen with car companies. Lotus has never been that. It's here it is. That's it. It's not for everybody. Buy it or don't. You're absolutely right. Lotus Lotus has, and then part of that is the problem that Lotus has always struggled as a brand to offer a range of cars. But the Elise, they've been making it since the 90s, okay? Mm -hmm. Haven't sold it here the whole time, but making it since the 90s are still making it right now as we record in 2020. That's mm -hmm. insane. The Honestly, yeah. the closest correlation to what Lotus does with the Elise is the company Morgan. You buy a Morgan because you want a Morgan. You aren't cross-shopping your Morgan with it. There's no end of that sentence. Not You're because you want to buy a car, you have to fumigate? Has the wood been treated? <laughs> the, the jokes are easy. I'm sorry. It's insane. <laughs> they are. But, but in, the case, in the case of the Elise, you're buying an Elise or nothing. You just want an Elise. So, mm -hmm. I, I, Zach, I'm excited about you for this. The crazy part of this is your alt to the Elise. You yeah. said with the same amount of money, remember that 97 wrecked Mustang of your dad's that you now have? Uh, you uh. thought I could take that 97 Mustang as a donor car and I could buy the fifteen, sixteen thousand dollar body kit from Factory Five, the full the full kit for their Daytona Cobra, which is the D Daytona Coupe look from Factory Five, but you need a Mustang donor car. Well, hey, hey, we have this ninety-seven deer hit convertible. 
We could take that. He would sell the cougar. He would take the cougar money and he would put the rest of his money together and he would grab this Daytona kit from Factory 5 and he would use the 97 Mustang donor car and he would build himself a Daytona coupe, which is cool. However, I don't like that idea. And it's not just because there's a Lotus in the wings. I think the Lotus is the better call and I want to unpack this, but where'd you go, Paul? I don't like it either, funny enough. Zach, I know you're going to sell the cougar. I know that's happening but you're just replacing it with another wrench work on car build up from the ground and, and mm-hmm. you won't be able to drive. Think about this. If you do that, if you get the Daytona coupe kit and you start building it, the only car you will still be able to drive is your Jetta. You won't be able to go drive anything. It's just, well, you're just working That's on true. cars now. That's true. Yeah. So I want you to be able to drive now because factory five is always going to build those kits and those coupes will always be built. I, I say always, but you know, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, yeah. They've been around for a long time and I think those will always be around. They'll always be available for you to buy that kit at some point. I want you to have the Elise now. Mm. Get it out of your system mm. for a year. Surprise yourself and you think, I what was I thinking with wanting to build and wrench? I just want to go driving instead of wrenching. That's Possibly. a question only you can answer. Yeah. But yeah. if you do this, if you go with a Daytona kit, you're still only driving a Jetta. You've got mm. all this stuff in your garage, including the Lemons car, but you're still only driving the Jetta. I, I want you to have the fun. I want you to have, mm. because eventually you're going to jump into that 99 Civic for a Lemons car. You've got a wrench on that. Yes. So agreed. maybe keep the Mustang for now. I'm not saying get rid of it right now, but maybe so. It, I, I, I think Todd and I are both kind of aligned. As much as we like to work on cars, I want to be driving more than I want to be wrenching. That's yeah. us. And I'd rather and be driving it now. I, I hear you. And I you and I totally align on that reality. The difference with Zach is that Zach is a wrench, period. Okay? This is what he does for a living. He right. is a wrench. He likes to work right. on cars. However, here, though, I, Zach, I do want to push you away from those projects, and I, and I want to unpack why. The Cougar, you've said something very interesting, that this is a car with tons of history with you. Now, most of the time when people have a car with history. Look at Chance, who has his Mustang, okay? People that like to rent, that that is their hobby. It's also your job. People that like to do that, that have a car that's been with them kind of their whole driving life, those cars typically never go away. And yet here you are, Zach, already saying, I've reached the place where this one's gotten difficult and finding the right parts is more expensive than I want it to be. I found that very Mm. informative against, follow me, the Daytona project, because the thing, mm. and, and please let me be careful here. I really like the factory five kits. I like the 818. There's a part of me that wants to do like the Uber build of the Daytona and somehow figure out how to put the GT350 running gear in it. That oh, is my yeah. weird, crazy dream car. Let me be honest. I would pay someone else to build, but yeah. Yeah. I don't have that kind of money. The thing about the factory five kits that I have seen to be true is this. The, the enticing thing is they aren't very expensive to get done. However, the version between the, yes, you can get it done for that price, and the way you'd like it done is a huge difference. So I think you're looking at it going, I have the parts. I have just enough money to do this kit. I should do the Daytona. But I think what you're going to discover is the same problem as the Cougar on a higher level. I think you're going to get it to a certain place where you're like, that should be about as much time and money as I want to give this. And you're going to realize it's not anywhere close to where I want it to be. And that's going to be this much more time and money. Mm. So that's a good point. I, yeah. I think the Daytona is the wrong call right now. I'm saying to you, get rid of the Mustang, get rid of the Cougar. Get the Lotus, because what does that leave? That leaves you that 99 Civic that needs to be a Lemons car. There's your project car for now. Yeah, yeah. So now you can actually put your time into that, and you can go, let's make this thing funny, safe, and fun. Then you have your wrench skills put on something totally different. It's not about making it work. It's about making it a a crazy, stupid race car. That's a different skill set that could be really fun. You're putting in things like fire suppression and roll cages, and that's a different skill set, if you will, that's not going to feel like the same and boring. And then when you want to go driving, you get in your Lotus. (laughs) That sounds ideal, actually. I'm with you on that. 
If you've got your own car debate like these two guys do, please write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com or on the website when you're looking at the pilgrimage trip and figuring out how to come with us because we want you to come with us. Yeah, definitely. You can write to us there in the top right corner contact button under the about tab. You can send it to the same place. And we do love, hey, it's now included to the permission. I'm thinking about this. Should I should I go ahead and pull the trigger kinds of emails? Your <laughs> your debates, your great stories, your topic Tuesdays, and of course your car conclusions. Love hearing from you guys. And uh, of sure. course that's where feedback we take feedback for all of the content that we're putting out, as Todd mm-hmm. said at the beginning of the podcast, about our increased YouTube content right now, the podcast itself, and the TV content that is soon coming. The, the entirety of the body of work is yep. soon going to be available everywhere. And there's new stuff coming, too. We've got two of our new uh, episodes for Season 7 that are already going through editorial right now. I mean, we are a constant cranking factory. We love that. Thank you guys for following along. We get so many really nice emails that will never make this podcast, but yet we do read them all. So thank you for sending them in because that is vital, and we love that. Whenever Todd and I are searching for cars, we always start with Auto Tempest. To find the best cars for any budget, you know it's important to cast a wide net and check all the places they might be listed. Now, we used to have to search all different car sites separately, but with Auto Tempest, you can search them all in one place. With Auto Tempest, you can enter your search results one time and see all the results from all the top car sites at once, plus a bunch of smaller ones you probably didn't think to check. Auto Tempest will help you find your next car, wherever it's hiding. With all the listings in one place, it's a great way to shop around and compare what's out there. So if you're doing your drive homework, you're chasing your dream car, or you're just looking to feed the disease like we always are, head to autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. While we're talking about interaction, that's straight into questions because there are so many great ones. You guys, my gosh, you guys have asked us so many good ones. One of the ones you asked is, have we noticed a decrease in podcast listening with people not commuting as as much? Yes, but we are podcasting anyway because we thoroughly enjoy it. And we know at some point you guys will be commuting again. So I wanted to start there. Also, really quickly from Christopher has said this, and this one could spiral. And I'm going to try to go real quick because he said, do we see the car market responding to this crazy time at all? And is it time to search out deals? No, it's not time to search them out. They're out there. I was looking this week at the number of cars being sold with 0% financing and the list was pages and pages and, and crazy standouts. Like I'll, I'll give you three, I'll give you three that I've seen. Okay. Okay. One, a little bit oddball, the Chevy bolt, but we like it. If you want an electric car, they're doing 72-month 0% financing on the Chevy Bolt. Oh, but by the way, plus they'll give you $4,700. That's insane. That's nuts. Meanwhile, That's free money. Totally. If you'd like yourself an old Golf R, yeah, remember that Golf R that gets recommended a lot on this podcast? 72-month 0%. Oh, and, and if, if, you, if you're not sure, watch Paul's design piece about the, uh, the C8 Corvette. Cool car, mid-engine, but you know what? That's C7. Back, you know, the old school C7, you know, that old car. We didn't like it all. Well, no, actually, it's awesome. C7s are out there with 0% financing. I'm including all the way up to the Z06s. That's a are lot of new? car. Yes. Still new C7s? They're out there. They're out there. They're being offered for Whoa. 0%. So, I, guys, wow, that's if, tempting. If, you're, if you're shopping, I have to say it's happened. It's infiltrated my house. It's happened this week. <laughs> my wife and I look at each fact. other and gone, hmm. Should we go car shopping? And then we're like, what, what? We don't need a car right now, but we're still thinking about it. Really? No kidding. That's interesting. Yeah, there was a whole debate earlier today about Jeep Wranglers versus Miatas. But anyway, yeah. Really? That's interesting. My brother-in-law called me and said, hey, you know, keep me informed of everything that's going on. So I'm sending him lists and ideas. And, you know, he's looking for uh, an SUV for he and my sister. And, you know, who knows? I think it is an ideal time to buy, as a matter of fact. All right. Well, speaking of buying, there's a question that I didn't get to from last time off of Facebook from Joe Marini, who has three boys, 12, 14, and 16. Okay. And Joe wants to buy a car for less than $2,000 as a project to teach the boys how to work on cars on the weekends. Just don't do what my brother-in-law Daniel did and buy a 1988 Saab 900 Turbo and then fall in love with it. That was a throwaway car. Teach the kids to drive manuals. And I was like, don't touch the Saab. Yeah. I love that now the kids have got to stay back because it's too precious. 
<laughs> yeah, it isn't. I, I kid him. I, I totally tease him. But uh, I like the idea. Joe wants something with plenty of parts, availability, and affordability, and a manual. So is an old Miata the way to go? He's, you know, he's still working. By the time the weekend comes around, he says the kids are bored out of their minds, which I can totally understand. I love this idea. I really do. And parts is the crux of the matter. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. could easily do the Miata. Yes to the Miata. It's, it's just great for so many things, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I do say yes, but I'm just also wondering about a Chevy big block or a Chevy small block. Let's just start there. 350 small block on some cheap Corvette that does have a lot of power. Mm, So when mm. you do start to help them learn to drive, even though I do love the, the fact that, well, maybe your 16-year-old drives already, but you know, learning to drive in that Miata is great, but you, know, mm-hmm. you, you, f- you feel the power. You feel a front engine, rear drive, a lot of power, V8, a pushrod V8, something that's old school, and it's a Chevy. It's a Chevy small block. I think parts availability would be just fine on that one. Just Absol- you know, let your fingers absolutely. do the walking. Absolutely. Jegs or Summer Racing or any of the catalogs out there, you've got plenty of stuff. And you could customize it so obviously paint and customization i'm not saying go art car like bmw art car but you know it could be a full project and i love the idea but i'm i'm leaning a little bit towards power when you pull everything out and you you pull a v8 crank out of an engine you show to them here's why the v8 makes power here's what a push rod is versus Mm -hmm. an overhead cam here's Hmm. you know water pumps here's all those things it's, it almost seems like the basics. Again, the Miata's great, but it almost seems like the V8 is just like, they'll be around in the future, but I, I, I feel like there's some sort of preservation going on by doing a V8. You're almost making a history project. I see what you're saying. Yeah, a I mean, little that's, bit. And, but it's also such an icon. I mean, that is the, it's a weird correlation here, but you know, the Miata is the, okay, it's always the answer, right? It's the car that if you start talking sports cars, the Miata comes up at some point. But if you start talking engines, you wind up at Chevy's. Okay, those always do. come up. So it is a, a thing where, you know, I mean, look, I am not a wrench. But I have to be honest with you, that is an engine I wish I'd taken apart at some point because they're ubiquitous. Yeah. They you know, are. Why are you just throwing LS in that? Or, you know, it's just there's so much Chevy engine discussion. If anybody is ever working on slash trading an engine, Chevy's been discussed. So you do have a wide range there, and it's amazing the stuff that they would learn. I've said this before. I know it's a little bit controversial, and I'm sure I'll get email about it. But the boating community puts Chevys in their boats. You're not putting Viper engines or Fords, even though I know you do, and there have been one-off boats. But <laughs> yes. I'm just saying, putting that out there. We have tire questions, which I always try to cover tire questions. I, I'm, I kind of became the tire guru, and I'm not at all qualified. No, that's not fair. I, I, I really do like tires, and so we talk about them a lot. Ben's got a question I wanted to discuss, but also uh, we've got one from Baloo240, and so they relate to each other. I wanted to discuss them both. Ben said, the story's kind of long, but let me catch you up. Ben is inheriting a car. He is inheriting an old Honda Pilot, about 230,000 miles. He's inheriting it from his dad. He's kind of going, how do I make this car mine? He's thinking, you know, one of the things I could do is I could make it a little more off-road friendly. So maybe I'll put some more heavy-duty, slightly knobby tires on it, and and maybe that'll work. Maybe he'll mount some lights. He's thinking, should I take this thing off-road? But then he realizes that he's only going to use it for long-distance drives. And those long-distance drives might have little, like, off-road offshoots, but it would predominantly be an all-long-distance an all car. So he's going, should I do tires like that, or should I do more normal all-seasons? And then he says, while I'm at it, should I make suspension changes, or are the tires going to cover me? Lots to unpack there. There's, I want to come back through that quickly. But while I'm here, the reason the other one relates is Baloo said... If you put really aggressive, sticky tires on a car with poor suspension, will that mask the poor suspension or will it reveal the poor suspension? These relate because tires often are the weak link in the setup of your car, okay? Most of the time, the manufacturers obviously look, it is the contact point. We always say get the best tires possible. The obvious discussion point here is the 86 chassis because they put those eco tires on it and the tires are way underperforming grip wise for what the chassis is capable of. So I am always of the demeanor of buy the best tire possible. In Ben's case, though, 
Buddy, if it's going to be a long-distance car, I think knobby off-road friendly tires are the completely wrong call. I suspect the kind of off-road you're going to do with these long-distance trips, based on your description, you could do with all seasons. You're going to need to buy a tire that does all of the road trip stuff really well and then can handle the off-road versus the reverse idea, which is let's buy the knobbies that are terrible on-road, but wow, now that I'm off-road, they're halfway decent. The best example I can give you, we were at uh, Pacaddle this last season of television, the Porsche Experience Center Atlanta. We were in Cayenne's, granted It's a Cayenne, not a Honda Pilot. But one of the interesting things to me about the whole off-road course we did is we did it in the normal all-season road tires. So if you're anything you're going to do, Ben, off-road, I think you're going to be much happier if you don't go aggressive tires. And if the suspension, you need to check it and see, is the suspension worn out at all? At 230,000 miles, you may need some new stuff, bud. And so I would worry about what are the actual suspension components. What did you put on your expedition, Paul, to refresh that suspension? Because it was revolutionary. I just got Bilstein's on it. I, I oh, left right. okay. the, the entire suspension component alone. I just replaced the shock absorber okay. uh, in, in the strut. It makes up a strut. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I just replaced it with Bilstein's, and it rides stiffer, but it's kind of brought it to life. It's not quite so sluggish. And I'm with you on the suspension components, especially if you're doing any off-roading whatsoever. Worn suspension it's just going to wear out your investment in tires. It's just going to wear your tires faster. You're going to waste money if you don't do the suspension first. You just are. Well, and I also think if he's just going to be road tripping in this thing, what if you mm-hmm. need new struts, yeah. man? What if, what if that if that damper yeah. actually is worn out? You're going to be so much happier on road if you spent the money on those and you just stayed with, with tires that are much more universal. Which brings me back to Baloo's question. If What happens when you drive a car really hard? And Porsche lists this... <laughs> sometimes in their owner's manuals. You can speak to it better than I can, Paul, but they actually say in some of their sports cars not to put actual no-tread race tires on their car. Do not put slicks on their cars because you can break stuff. Once your grip gets so high that your grip is no longer the weak link of your suspension, other things will rear their ugly head. So um, if you get super aggressive tires on a bad suspension car, you're going to know and stuff's going to break. So I I think, but I want to be careful here because I think the average person's buying of really good tires isn't going to break their suspension, okay? Slicks driven hard on a track, you can start to reveal that stuff. If your suspension, though, I will say this, is worn out, you just mentioned it, Paul, Good tires are not going to solve the problem. You've got to actually replace suspension components. If your suspension is just not great on your current car, let me put it another way. You have a car that doesn't handle well from the factory. It's factory fresh. It just doesn't handle well. Your putting better tires on it will make it handle better, but it's not going to make the car a perfectly dynamic, awesome car. So where mm-hmm. are you on the spectrum? I'm not sure based on your question what you're actually dealing with. Tires help everything, but they don't overcome bad engineering. Yeah, agreed. Well, it's sort of like paint. If you've used 100 grit to final sand your car before paint, the paint's only going to make those grooves shiny. It's just going to magnify it. <laughs> I like you know that. I mean? That's good. That's good. Yeah. Same kind of thinking. Not always, but yes, uh, I like that. All right, guys. Thanks for writing there. Uh, I love design questions. Another one from Petrolhead80. Who asks if I think automotive design is a lost art? Hmm. Feels that most of the cars on sale right now are bland looking and only designed to sell the, to the masses. Well, you're right. And that's from a price point perspective because what car company wants to invest a lot in the tooling process, really the cost of a product is the cost of torturing the material into the shape that it is. And whether that's robots or people doing that, that's where the cost of a product comes in. Of course, the material cost is important and all those things. There's a lot of factors in there. But to torture that material, whatever that is, name it, plastic, leather, steel, wood, aluminum, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. into the shape, that final shape, and get it really right, that takes a lot of investment. And can you imagine on a volume-selling car, do designers want to ask the tooling, the factory, to go nuts? You know, they stamp it four times or five mm, times mm. in some cases like BMW does, whereas GM might just stamp it three and, you know, overbend it. I've talked about this a little bit before that costs time and money and it drives the price of the car up. So if there's a simpler surface that can be done in 
one, two, or three, and we've got it. We're moving on. Keeps the price of the car down, but of course you don't get a beautiful McLaren-like scallop in the side of the car that's super... <laughs> you don't. Yeah. You know, because it's not hand-laid carbon fiber in the mold and you know, with titanium weave and carefully, <laughs> you know, shepherded into the autoclave. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it definitely depends on what the price point of the car is. And the designers are told, all right, you, you can't go nuts here. These are the things that matter. Make it look as good as you can. So they spend a lot of time in the headlights and taillights making that signature look. But otherwise, sheet metal in some cases is, is pretty straightforward. You don't often hear, uh, here we are touring the Honda Civic factory, and that's our carbon fiber guy. Yeah, that's not, that's not really a common no. reality at this point. Yeah, we Doing the NSX? Sure. Yes. <laughs> but the price is vastly different. Exactly. And the care involved with building it and the nurturing it, just the downtime, just... You know, like any artist or designer or musician or whatever, just kind of noodling the final product, you can spend hours just mm, get it mm. done, get it stamped, get it out the door, welded, boom, off to the next station. Last question for me. I've got a, a call out here from Gary the Cycling Nerd says to me, I have regretted, and I have, I have regretted every aftermarket exhaust I've put on every one of my cars, but how do I feel about exhaust headers? So way up the oh. chain, right next to the engine. I did put headers on my FRS, okay? And I thought about them on my Z car, but didn't do them. But I did put headers on the on the FRS. He said he's thinking about putting unequal length headers on his NB, that second generation Miata, to make the exhaust go from an Angry Bees sound to a Subaru-like rumble. Do I think that's a bad choice? Couple of things here. I actually will admit, I haven't heard this on a Miata. So I can't say from personal experience, oh, that sounds better, or oh, that sounds worse, just from a sound perspective. The problem that I have had with exhausts has not been the header problem. It's been that the the other end, the noisy end, got noisier, okay? The, mu the muffler didn't muffle as well, and as a result, not just the loudness, it was just the fact that over over time, that was just annoying, the sheer volume level got higher, and so I did enough commuting in every one of these cars that dealing with it at a freeway-related RPM was just punishing. When I was driving it hard for fun or when I was driving it around in a way that wasn't at a constant RPM, typically I liked the cars, but there was always that constant drone thing. I don't think that headers would create that reality because I, I didn't mind the rumble change, the Subaru rumble change that was added to the FRS. I thought it was kind of cool. I don't know that that's necessary in the Miata, but I realize you're playing, playing around here. I think the headers with a stock exhaust, you probably wouldn't mind the volume change because I think the volume would be probably pretty similar. So that's my suspicion there, but I will also admit I have not actually experienced one of those. So I'm a little bit in the dark. All right, last question for me. Wow, we spent a lot of time on the questions. We got to go faster. There's, of course, questions we haven't gotten to, but we will still go through our back catalog here. So guys, for thank sure. you. Yes, definitely. The last question is an interesting one from Mr. Bill 562 on Instagram, who says, does Nissan hate men? Ooh. The current advertising strongly suggests they do. I don't think so. The, I haven't seen these two spots. The dad in the rogue TV spot is portrayed as an irresponsible doofus. The guy at the taco stand in the Altima is a clearly a deplorable, misogynistic, mid-level manager. Wow. How do they think this approach will sell cars? <clears throat> I, I haven't seen them. Wow. It's interesting to see what the marketing team perceives in the car. Mm. And there's many, many meetings, of course. So the new oh. model comes out. And they've had their past customer base, whatever that is. Generally, it's not a brand new model. But even the C8 Corvette, even though it's brand new, it has a customer base. Yep. Whether people buy it or don't, it still yep, has a completely. customer base. So they look at that and they think, all right, what is it, the features on this car? What is it? Is it you know, more city? Is it off-road? Is it camping? Is it family? Sports car, the fun of driving. I Ultimately, what Todd and I want to see is cars bringing people together more. And the fun of driving, even at a level of giant SUV. Okay, it's bringing us together to go on a fun road trip. And I, I have to admit, you know, sometimes the sappiness does get to me in the Subaru commercials and the Ford commercials and <laughs> brings people together. Toyota does it too. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, 
it, it doesn't, you know, there's other cars that can do those things too. <laughs> it's not like only memories can be made in Subarus. Memories well, cannot be made in any other car. But what's also it's funny not, that you say you know that, I mean? the irony of that is you and I, we watch commercial like that. You get that tear in your eye. You're like, I could buy a car now that my grandkid could, wait, wait, wait. Why would I yeah. do that? Why would, no, there's yeah. all, all these great cars. Stop buying Camrys over and over. Let's branch out. Totally. So wouldn't it be great if... The marketing teams, because now it moves from design and engineering and the passion of the people designing and engineering it to selling it. And again, if it can't be made at a price point to be sold, it is art. But it, there's a certain level of passion involved with every car, mm -hmm. even rogues mm -hmm. and Altimas. So tell that story rather than, you know, taking pot shots at, you know, different parts of humanity and saying, as I agree with you, that does pigeonhole your car. How about, you know, it, it's, uh, it tells the story of the car, whether it's fun to drive or whether it just, you know, gives you a certain feeling. I, I like that kind of stuff, personally. I, I keep it on the positive side. I want to thank you guys, as always, for sending us so many really great questions. As Paul's already said, we didn't cover nearly as many as we wanted to this time, and the time's already flown. We hope you're having a good time with family. We also are excited for all of the podcasts to come because we're still doing two a week. So please write to us at EverydayDriverTV at Gmail. Also, I know this isn't a surprise, but we're always accepting your ratings. They always matter. We'll take them on IMDb or Amazon for the TV show, and we also hit them up on iTunes and anywhere you're listening to the podcast. Agreed. Thank you guys for the support. Really appreciate it. Yeah, love hearing from you and love the interaction, and uh, hope it feels the same back at you guys, too. So thanks, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.